Hi, I'm Mark Lynch, director of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the POMEPS Middle East Books podcast, our series of conversations with authors with new books. Uh, joining us today is Omar Gawashi from Rutgers University's Department of Anthropology and author of the new, of the new book, uh, Ungovernable Life, Mandatory Medicine and Statecraft in Iraq, uh, winner of the New Millennium Book Award up in the Society of Medical Anthropology. Uh, Omar, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about the book um, and the origins of the book. What was the major uh, contribution that you were hoping to make in writing it? Yes, so I basically, to give you a little bit of a background, I was a, trained as a physician in Iraq in the 1990s. I uh, worked as a doctor during the sanctions, um, immediately started medical school after the uh, first Gulf War. And during that period, I... Uh, experienced the the, uh, the 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 rapid deterioration and the rapid dismantlement of the Iraqi healthcare system. When I started uh, uh, writing my or started researching uh, my dissertation project, I wanted to kind of tell a um, history of uh, healthcare in Iraq and in relationship to the rise and fall of Iraqi uh, medicine. Um, this was uh, the main uh, uh, intention, and in doing that, I was kind of trying to respond uh, to a number of uh, themes, uh, broader themes. One was the uh, lack, what I saw as the lack of social science engagement in Iraq uh, or with Iraq. Uh, basically, uh, Iraq has been kind of closed to Western and foreign uh, researchers coming in to do uh, uh, more empirical work in the country. And uh, there was uh, this really troubling uh, uh, kind of, you know, research that has been done on Iraq that has completely missed on uh, the social history of uh, the country. And there was more focus on the repression of the Ba'ath Party or on the uh, a discourse of uh, uh, of the regime and all of that, and, and what was completely missing is a social history of state institutions and, and giving a little bit of a different uh, story about Iraq from what we've been reading in general. The second point that I wanted to uh, to uh, address in the book is to show that history of Iraq or history of, of state making in Iraq was a tra originally a transnational history. Uh, it's not necessarily something that could, Iraq could not be understood within its own kind of uh, borders because there has been a, a long uh, history of uh, transnational engagement, be it through the British, through uh, a movement of uh, uh, state uh, doctors to the West, uh, and uh, through different kind of uh, transnational organization engagement in the country. Um, the other uh, issue I wanted to also respond to the uh, focus on the neoliberal uh, uh, frameworks of analysis of, of, of state uh, destruction and state uh, uh, dismantlement um, by showing how Iraq uh, was uh, being, being dismantled through a different kind of uh, frame of uh, uh, interventions, which is basically through war and sanctions. The period of neoliberal uh, reforms in uh, across the globe in the 1990s were, was coincided with the time that Iraq was being uh, sanctioned. And so there's a little bit of a different story there. And I feel it, it is more, it's very useful to think with it vis-a-vis uh, -vis all these other um, frameworks. 
The uh, last uh, point, uh, I wanted to really, in this book, to show the centrality of healthcare and health and population events uh, in the history and analysis of statecraft in the Middle East. Uh, so here is the book is, is trying to, uh, was trying to give a commentary or kind of a, an, an approach to uh, the way we can think about infrastructure making uh, in places like the Middle East and specifically taking the role of uh, physicians and doctors in uh, the making and unmaking of the infrastructure of the state. Well, that's, that's actually a really good place to start because I thought it was really interesting the way that you uh, put medicine and public health so directly at the center of, uh, of the nature of the state in Iraq. Let's, talk, let's walk that through a little bit. Why do you see uh, medicine as so central in uh, state capacity and state building? Well, I mean, it starts with the point of Iraq's uh, healthcare. Uh, but, but when in the 1990s, you uh, you people were reading a lot of accounts on how healthcare was being destroyed, how Iraq was one of the uh, pioneering states in, in healthcare in the Middle East, and that was a kind of an interesting uh, a moment of start uh, of, of starting to think about what's uh, the role of healthcare in a, in a place like Iraq. And when I started thinking about this um, and looking at the archival uh, material that I use in the book or uh, myself, my own experience in Iraq being someone, I grew up there, I left when I was 25, um, the, the, the role of the state in ordering uh, life uh, through healthcare has been very central. The, uh, the, the, uh, the place of state medicine has been uh, pretty uh, important in the history of the formation of the state and in the kind of uh, the state building projects. So uh, for me, uh, that was something already, um, uh, that phenomenon was already kind of clear to me that there was, a, there was an importance for healthcare. The, the other issue is, is in general in many, uh, uh, there is a lot of literature uh, globally on, on the importance of, of healthcare and uh, health politics and population politics in defining state projects. You know, uh, if you are going to be uh, developing a state, one of the first things that you have to uh, think about is how do you uh, regulate the uh, health of a population? How do you um, uh, develop uh, state institutions to uh, control any uh, epidemic events or healthcare events? How do you uh, uh, convince the local population with the importance of uh, state medicine? Um, how do you train uh, local doctors to become uh, custodians of the uh, health, uh, health of the population? So these are all uh, in terms of thinking about the political projects like state making are central questions that uh, need always to be uh, thought through when uh, doing uh, political analysis of the state. And I, it was interesting going all the way back to the British mandatory period that uh, it really, you really do make the case very effectively that this is one of the major points of contact between citizens and the state and you know, the way that um, the construction of this healthcare sector and the vaccination campaigns and all that sort of thing, you really, you really show very nicely how that goes hand in hand with, uh, with the construction of, of the Iraqi state. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, do you want me to comment on that? <laughs> well, uh, 
It, it, was, it was very interesting, though. There was one anecdote in there, uh, which was not familiar to me, um, was uh, the, vac- the, the, the cholera vaccination campaign and the differences between how Iraqis received it versus the way it had gone in India. I just found that fascinating. Yes, uh, I think one of the, 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 the main issues when, with the British when they confronted um, Iraq was the, the failure of healthcare, And I, 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 I try to kind of tell this story of, of how the British troops arrive in Iraq and, and, and the main killer in, uh, in that campaign was, was disease, uh, wasn't uh, uh, war and, and military combat. So from the uh, start, healthcare and health and disease problems were central to the imagination of the British uh, uh, occupying force, but also in the development of the discourse about the state and the development of state institutions, the infrastructure building that the British tried to do. Of course, the British had uh, a lot of limitations with uh, resources after the First World War, but uh, from reading the archive and trying to kind of triangulate a lot of these stories, you realize that, that the question of health was very, very central to, to that project. And, and for, for decades, the investment of the state in, in training doctors, in building uh, better uh, healthcare institutions, uh, regardless of the ideology of the ruling parties, be it under the monarchy or under uh, the Republican era and, uh, or under the Ba'athist regime, there was constant interest in uh, developing the healthcare infrastructure. And I thought that that, was be, that is a, a very important point to highlight in, mm-hmm. in the way one needs to understand the, um, the kind of the evolution of uh, uh, statecraft in Iraq. Let's jump ahead uh, to the 1980s, because there I thought it was absolutely fascinating the way that you tied together the, um, the expansion of the healthcare sector along with the wartime economy. And, and uh, walk us through that a little bit, um, the, the, the dichotomies there, or, or the, the way that um, you see this, this transformation of the Iraqi healthcare sector at a time of extreme privation and difficulty in the war. Yes. So... In in general, when we think about war and and healthcare, we always think about the negative impacts of um, war on the uh, health of the population and on healthcare infrastructure. And you know, this is this been the uh, the main uh, mantra uh, looking at all what's been happening recently over the past decades in the Middle East. So uh, one thing that gets missed is how. Um, war uh, in, in certain kind of histories, in certain kind of contexts, become a, uh, a catalyst for uh, transformation of healthcare. So uh, to give you another example, uh, not necessarily from Iraq, uh, the, the British National Health Service, the NHS, emerges immediately after the Second World War as a way to uh, respond to the uh, both the decolonization of India and to the uh, uh, the kind of the state building project in uh, in post uh, post uh, uh, 1948 uh, war in Europe. So so in Iraq there uh, uh, the war platform was very important in the 1980s and and actually both Iraq and Iran uh, showed investment a lot of investment and mobilization of the population to respond to the uh, uh, possible health fallout from the war. So in in both countries, actually, um, you see 
cutting down of infant mortality rates, uh, maternal mortality rates, and the mobilization of population to actually do public health on a grassroots level. So in Iraq, uh, the the uh, the mobilization of men uh, to uh, for war uh, was the, the reaction to that was to to was to open up a lot of government uh, positions for uh, the uh, women women populations in the country, and at the same time there was a push in Iraq to uh, uh, to do more uh, to expand families uh, and. Basically, that was a, also a related. What I try to argue is that this comes in in, in, a, in a relationship to the loss of a lot of um, uh, men uh, in uh, on the front line. So the state is trying to negotiate um, uh, doing this kind of population politics with different families by saying, you know, you can have more kids. We will support that. And we will have to take care of these kids because these are the future of the country. So you get you get this mobilization of families of, uh, working on a on a very important um, uh, cultural uh, uh, aspect of of everyday life. Children, uh, the expansion of families, to develop really a uh, 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 two processes where where I I have tried to talk about these two processes. There's a kind of a a war process uh, of medicine that is that has to do with injury, has to do with the development of uh, surgical expertise uh, in during the 1980s, and at the same time, a more of a public health story, a more of a primary health care um, uh, project that has to do with the um, uh, healthcare uh, health promotion campaigns, vaccination campaigns. Um, uh, improvement of uh, reproductive health in the country, and and you can see these these two processes are happening uh, at the same time, and they're kind of feeding uh, into each other. So so this is this was kind of this chapter is also it shows also how war and healthcare becomes gendered in, uh, mm -hmm. in a place like Iraq during the 1980s. However, this also this is one of the main uh, uh, periods where Iraq was also celebrated in. in also, a lot of literature, political science or social science literature, that that Iraq was this progressive uh, 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 country, a progressive state that was uh, supporting um, uh, the incorporation of women in the workforce and the giving more rights to women. So, so you see all these transformations happening during the 1980s. Yeah, and no, it's really interesting. But then you go into the 1990s, and that's, uh, you know, it's um, the destruction of the state through sanctions. Um, it's, you know, it's, it really is quite striking, the comparison between the effects of the war 19, of the 1980s versus the effect of the sanctions of the 1990s. Yes, indeed. I think there are many factors. I think what happens in the 80s, regardless of all these kind of, uh, uh, quote unquote, positive achievements that happens in the 80s, uh, the whole uh, system gets uh, kind of a bit more stretched, uh, uh, specifically with the lack of resources after the 1980s. Um, it, it, what you get in the 1990s is a, is a double burden with that war. Uh, the Iran-Iraq war did not necessarily hit the main infrastructures of the state, like uh, bridges or like uh, electricity or water supply. But what you get in the 1990s, uh, a very... Um, disturbing uh, war project where you destroy the infrastructure of the country and then you put an entire population under sanctions and 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 that uh, uh, 
that that experiment uh, soon in a very quick way uh, uh, begins to undermine and and uh, undermine the 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 functioning of a of a relatively uh, powerful uh, state infrastructure. And of course, what happens also in the 90s is the exodus of uh, Iraqi physicians. Um, this is kind of the, at least I'm one of these physicians who left in the 1990s. So, so uh, this, this mass exodus of these doctors, which basically also mean an, a, a kind of a dismantlement of a human infrastructure of expertise and uh, knowledge and, uh, uh, training uh, uh, training networks. So all of this gets completely dismantled in relationship also to the lack of available supplies, uh, deterioration in hospital sanitation, uh, increase, increases in, uh, in poverty, uh, inequality. Uh, th these are all like this rapid uh, de-development uh, process of the Iraqi health system that uh, really... Uh, uh, peaks uh, in the 1990s. And, you know, I, I truly believe that uh, there's never been a real reckoning, either in political science or in policy uh, discussions, uh, with, uh, with the Iraq sanctions of the, of the 1990s and uh, the, the sheer magnitude and extent of, of what they did to that country. It always stunned me um, in the days when people were talking about uh, the uh, invasion and later occupation of Iraq, how the entire decade of sanctions was more or less whitewashed from uh, reasons why Iraqis might have some resentment of the United States. Exactly, and this is one of the reasons I, I tried to uh, uh, write this book to show that the 2003 was not the beginning of the destruction of Iraq. There was a, a, a this was an, just an, a, yet a, the second episode or like the another episode in the in this process. The the, the U.S. involvement in Iraq started uh, much earlier. Even we can we can think about the 1980s and the support of the Iraqi regime back then, or at least the kind of um, a global uh, proxy war that was going on in um, um, in, in the region, but uh, but the 1990s often, as you said, gets uh, uh, whitewashed and uh, and and the the troubling part for me is that there was also very much lack of any um, uh, scholarship that was uh, was very very kind of uh, thoroughly examining this process. I mean, one of the a few books that came out of that period uh, uh, was by a political philosopher who never really kind of been to Iraq. Um, uh, I mean, a Joy Gordon? Joy Gordon's book, Invisible War. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the few books that really looked at this problem and, and it came not from a Middle East uh, studies person, it came from a political philosopher. And I think part of the part of the problem there is, as you identified uh, at the beginning of the conversation, is that uh, there's a premium placed on field research in in political science, um, at least in, in Middle East political science. And I think the inability to get access to Iraq, uh, I think, had, had at least something to do with uh, its relative neglect. But I think it might be deeper than that, as you say. I, I think I think as I kind of try to uh, uh, give some kind of interpretation to that uh, f uh, that problem in the book, um, uh, I think there are many reasons. I think Iraq has been always seen through this uh, uh, Sovietology kind of uh, frameworks. Uh, Iraq was seen as a socialist state, so anything coming from the U.S. Uh, or from uh, from Europe uh, kind of by default looks at Iraq as as part of that kind of literature, and. Um, 
And I think there was a, a lot of focus on, and, and in a way, a lot of fetishism around the idea of the dictator. You know, there's an there's a obsession with how, um, uh, you know, Saddam's uh, words or Saddam's uh, discourse or uh, the Ba'ath Party's repressive uh, practices were kind of uh, formative. And of course, they were formative. Not, no one was kind of denying that. But I, I felt that there was no um, uh, imagination in, in and trying to think in a different way about what is going on in Iraq uh, historically, and and once again, I mean, I, I think um, the uh, the using healthcare as the, as the lens to see how this is taking place is is obviously extremely appropriate here, and you know the the numbers and and some of the issues that you identify with, uh, you know, the 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 drug resistant bacteria, the um, the. Uh, the impact on on the on the genetic impact of radioactive materials and kind of the way that the sanctions and war affect an entire generation. Um, these are things which are sort of known, but I think, uh, as you say, they're often not um, incorporated into the political science of it. It's like there's two different things going on, and it's one of the really powerful things about the book is the way you connect um, those things that are happening um, yes. to the to the people with the development of the state. Exactly, and I think one of the uh, the analytic uh, the analytics that I try to develop in the book is this idea of ungovernability, um, and and what I uh, wanted to also here to respond to is that most of the times when we get this kind of analysis of governance, uh, it, it it often really kind of focuses on uh, certain kind of practices as just uh, 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 showcasing. Uh, practices of governance, but but the dynamics of that and how things slip out of control and how things uh, that slip out of control are produced by the uh, modes of power is something I found to be um, interesting to explore in the book, and that's what kind of the idea of un, un, un governability was. You was trying to kind of think with it, and in the sense of producing this kind of quote unquote what I called ungovernable life. Uh, in a place like Iraq, something you maybe we are seeing right now um, in, in a lot of countries with the uh, overburdening of healthcare systems by a um, uh, something like the corona uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. So, so you get this idea that life becomes completely uh, unruly, and then the state is trying to respond to that uh, by being. Um, um, by, by by reacting and, and, and re-reacting in different ways and sometimes many times actually producing that thing that that it's uh, disavowing. Well, you know, since you bring it up, uh, this, this does go beyond the scope of the book, but I think it's uh, of interest to a lot of people uh, in terms of Iraq's response to the coronavirus and, um, you know, how do the trends that you see in the development of the Iraqi state and the Iraqi healthcare sector, how does that play out in their ability to respond effectively to, uh, to coronavirus? Yes, yeah, so I think the... Uh, one needs to kind of put things into context a bit. Um, uh, since October, there has been a massive uh, uh, uprising and uh, revolution, if you want, uh, in Iraq, uh, demanding kind of more gov a governable state. You know what? Uh, what? What? I think. I think one way it links to thinking with the book is is to see this these uh, massive uprising is a reaction to an ungovernable uh, the ungovernability of that state. Um, people want order. People want uh, some kind of a semblance of, of uh, civility. 
Um, and I think that has been one of the things that has mobilized this uh, population in the country. The, uh, what, with the vulnerabilities of Iraq, of course, there are many. Uh, one had to do with the proximity to Iran, and of course, that's one of the epicenters of the epidemic. There's a lot of students go back and forth. There's a lot of pilgrims. There's a lot of tourists back and forth between the two countries. The healthcare system has been decimated for, for uh, decades now. So uh, the infrastructure of uh, quarantines in the country are, are really uh, uh, lacking. Um, and of course, there is the, the, the issue of uh, religious uh, ritual and daily rituals, uh, including you know, going to prayer in the mosque or going to pilgrimage. These are things that since over the last 16 years have become so central to uh, everyday life uh, in the country. So, so there are many uh, vulnerabilities to Iraq's healthcare system, but what we are also seeing from the population is a, a lot of, uh, is also we're seeing some kind of a, an epidemic of suspicion or uh, a mistrust of, hmm. uh, of the government reaction. So people uh, don't uh, report coronavirus uh, in their homes because they're afraid of social stigma and they're afraid of being uh, an object uh, of uh, government interventions the government is sending uh, healthcare uh, healthcare and uh, state officials to uh, I, uh, to take people from their homes for isolation and then there's a lot of resistance to that um, uh, there is uh, there is also uh, infighting between the the religious and political authorities in the country about uh, who you know do you go to pilgrimage do you not go to pilgrimage there's there's been a lot of uh, uh, back and forth uh, with in, in that kind of setting so so what what we keep on seeing a kind of a vicious, a vicious cycle of uh, of a healthcare collapse and increasing mistrust within the country and and uh, today actually uh, there was a reports and by Reuters showing that the government has not been reporting all the cases and there are thousands of cases that are still um, um, that the government has, has kind of uh, did not really mm -hmm. uh, declare and we still don't know I mean partly because this is a this is there's so much uncertainty and uh, unknowables with this COVID-19 epidemic even globally so the watching Iraq right now and to see what is gonna, what is the impact of COVID nineteen is uh, is something that I'm doing uh, because I feel it, it is really a central uh, uh, geography to think about the uh, the unfolding of events uh, related to COVID nineteen. Well, great. Thank you so much. Uh, we've been speaking with uh, Omar Dawashi of Rutgers University, uh, author of the book Ungovernable Life, Mandatory Medicine and Statecraft in Iraq, uh, published by Stanford University Press. Omar, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark.